The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray. So, Lord, we, we are desperate for you to turn so many things around, whether that be personal heartbreak, church heartbreak, heartbreak around the world. And so we confess together now that we, we don't always understand what it is you're doing, but we believe, like we just saying that you're doing something. And we want to wait on you. You work for those who wait for you. So Lord, help us be faithful in our waiting. And as we look at this text this morning, as we wait, as a family of God, would we wait with great hope that the church is precious to you. You love your church. And you will build your church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the text today is pretty straightforward from Acts chapter 20. It's normally a text that's used to talk about the role of elders, and we will talk about that today. But what I want us to see is that fueling this charge to the leaders of the local church is actually the preciousness of the church itself. So this morning, I want you to believe that this is precious to God. I want you to believe that. I wonder sometimes as we're singing and as we're hearing one another's voices, I love being up here so the music's coming this way and y'all are coming this way at me, being right in the middle of it. I wonder sometimes as I'm praying and singing, I wonder, do we realize the miracle that is happening? The miracle that's happening in this room. If you're with us, and not trusting in Jesus, we are glad you're here. And I hope as you listen in this morning, you just go, I want in on that. I want in on some of that. So what is the miracle I'm talking about? And the miracle I'm talking about is that here we are, 2,000 or so years later, across the ocean, as a people gathered in Lakeville to set their eyes and their hope on King Jesus, who is still working and teaching by his Spirit. Just logistically, that's a miracle. (laughs) What are the chances that that could happen from this little fledgling group of disciples that we saw back in chapter 1? A people with an unshakable hope in the midst of cultural chaos. A people that God has redeemed to become the new temple of God where the Holy Spirit dwells. A people that can have unshakable joy in the midst of a Genesis 3 world. A people that can love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. A people who by the grace of God have seen the glory of God and live in light of that reality by the power of God. Imperfectly, obvious, right, in these days, but really. And a people that because they know Jesus is the greatest treasure in the whole world, Love their brothers and sisters deeply who share this common treasure. We talk a lot about the glory of God in the face of Jesus here at Bethlehem, and we will not stop talking about that. And the picture the Bible puts forward 
is that when we believe the gospel, we're not lone rangers out here on our own. But when we believe the gospel, we're brought into a family and called to a local expression of that family to love and to be loved. In fact, John would say in 1 John, if we say we love God but hate our brother, we lie. You can't love God and love the vision of God. We say we have here Bethlehem and not love one another. That mission is not separate from people, from a people that are in Christ. And loving God and loving each other has always gone hand in hand. My favorite psalm is Psalm 16, and verses 1 and 2 almost sound like a contradiction. So listen to what he says in chapter 16 of the psalm, verses 1 and 2. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. No good apart from the Lord. What does the next verse say? As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. How does that work? God is my only good. My only good. Not most of my good. Not 98% of my good. My only good. And yet, where's all my delight? The saints in the land. So at Bethlehem, over these last 18 months, even now in these strange times, let me ask you, some questions. Do you know that you have no good apart from God so that you can be joyful and sturdy and hopeful in the midst of anything? Do you know that? That God is your only good and that he's not left you? Or have we been shaken as we've turned to lesser goods? Lesser things. Goods! (laughs) They're good. They're just not God, where all our good is found. I found myself wondering this week what it's like to be the church here versus the church in Afghanistan. I bet the church in Afghanistan is clinging to God as their only good. What about this? Are the saints in this room with you all your delight. Look around. Go ahead. I'm going to make you do it. Look around at each other. This is a real people. This isn't a show. This is a real people gathered. Are the people, as you look around, are they all your delight? Do you delight in those who love Jesus with you? Again, as I've been thinking about this text this week, I bet the church in Afghanistan counts their brothers and sisters as very precious. Despite many disagreements on second and third tier issues. Do you think when they gather in Afghanistan right now, the Taliban on their heels, that they're going, can we clear up a couple social issues first before we worship? I'm not even joking. I mean, think about being in that climate. What would you do? You'd get on your faces and you would hug each other and you would cry and you would worship. I bet they have spent little time infighting these days because they don't have all the time we have to do all the infighting. So I'm praying as we move through this book of Acts that we'd get to the point where the early church got to in persecution, where the persecuted church is now, and be able to say, God, you are my only good. And the saints in the land, oh, they are all my 
delight. So let's dig into this text. Point number one is the preciousness of the church. This is an exhortation to the elders that Paul is going to give. Remember, Paul has gathered the the local elders of the church in Ephesus to him for one last time to give them one final exhortation. This is a guy who was there for three years with them, laboring with them, ministering with them. He loves them, and this is their final time together. And what you'll see is underneath this charge to the leaders of the church is the preciousness of the church. I had never even seen it as clearly as I did this week. Paul gives this serious charge to the elders of this local church because there's nothing more important than Jesus in the whole world. There's nothing more important than Jesus in the whole world. And Jesus has ordained that he would gather a people, a new temple redeemed by his blood to walk towards glory together and bring as many with them as possible. And so the leaders of this thing that King Jesus is doing, if King Jesus is most precious in the world, makes his people underneath him very precious and the leaders with a very serious job to shepherd this flock. So what I want to do in the first point today is simply impress upon us the preciousness of the church and I pray just fill you with fresh wonder that you're a part of it. That we're a part of it. With fresh wonder that we're gathered here today as a part of this thing that Jesus is doing and has been doing for 2,000 years and impress upon you the wonder of it even when it's messy. Even when we disagree. Even when we want to give up on it. So that when you look around this place, you and me would let any bitterness or silly divisions or leftover frustration from the last year and a half disappear and marvel at the miracle of the people our Savior has gathered. In other words, that what's really important in the reality under the Lordship of Christ would be really important to us. And if you're here and you're an elder like I am, I'm praying that this would be fresh motivation to lay down your life for this precious people. So how precious is this people to God? I'm just going to show you five things. I had 12, but I'm going to show you the five I liked most because we don't have time for all 12. Five things that show how precious this people is to God. Verse 28, number one, God chooses under shepherds to care for this people by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God knows his people need to be cared for and loved and led. And here it says the Holy Spirit himself places, puts shepherds among his people to love them and lead them and care for them. In other words, God does not leave the choice up to anyone else, but ultimately by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the wisdom he gives to people by the power of the Holy Spirit, he makes sure, God makes sure my people will be cared for. That's how precious the church is to God. Number two, the most obvious one, God purchased this people with his blood, right? This is our slogan. (laughs) The perfect son of God left eternal perfection, eternal joy. He took on flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died the death we deserve to die. He shed his blood to purchase, verse 28, the church. How Precious is this gathered people this morning? As precious as the blood of Christ. 
That's not an overstatement. It's right in verse 28. We are a blood-bought what? Family. Right? You don't want to say it, but I'm going to keep making you say it. (laughs) That's the love of Jesus for us. Not just individually, but together. That's why I make us keep saying it. I want to say it until we believe it. It is true whether we believe it or feel it, but I want to say it until you are just so sick of it that you believe it. Number three. This people is worth pouring out your life for. Last week, Paul said he just wanted to finish his ministry and counted his life as nothing, that he might just finish and be faithful. Here he reminds him that this church is precious. It's more blessed to give, to sacrifice, than to receive. He says the church is is better than any silver or gold, verses 34 to 35. It's worth laboring for. It's worth getting messy for. It's worth giving for. This people is worth pouring out your life for is what Paul is saying to the Ephesian elders. Number four, the church, those who are sanctified and set apart, verse 32, will receive an an, an eternal inheritance in the presence of God. So the church is so precious that not only did Jesus shed his blood to purchase it, but will bring his church home to dwell with him forever. How much does he love you? How much does he love us? Enough to save you from your sins? Really good news. Enough to bring you with him to eternity forever? Even better news. That's how much he loves you. Not only will he save you by his blood, purchase you by his blood, redeem you from your sins, but he's given you his spirit to keep you and his people to keep you. And he will keep you. Not one will be lost from his hand. He will keep us until we're with him forever. He's keeping us in spite of our sinfulness that he might have us forever. What kind of love is that? And in heaven, I'm sure that we'll say, God, you are my only good and the saints are all my delight. Finally, number five. We see that the church is worth it because, because we see these brothers laboring together for the church and because of its preciousness bring about tears. So why did they weep? Well, the reason that we see is because they wouldn't see his face again. A lot of people's faces I see and they don't see their face again. All the time at the store, right? Maybe even visitors here in this room. So why is it so sad that they're not going to see his face again? Because they had just spent years together laboring for the good of this precious people and laid down their lives together. That's why they're weeping. The church is precious and the devil is prowling and the battles are intense and therefore the bonds of these shepherds go deep. Their tears are evidence of the worth of Jesus and the preciousness of his people. So I just want to be real for a moment. This has been the hardest year of ministry for me by far. Exponentially. I'm only nine in, so probably more are coming. Looking forward to that. Everyone's like, it's preparing you for something. I'm like, I hope not. But it is. I believe it is. But the last, the last, the last place I was at was not a cakewalk. It was hard. It was messy. It was broken from day two. Like, no honeymoon. At least there's a short honeymoon here. And it's been the hardest season of ministry for a lot of reasons. You know those already. I'm not going to go over them. But let me tell you the most excruciating thing to me 
and the thing that's made me endure more than anything. Both both are the same thing. The most excruciating thing to me that's broken my heart is to watch the infighting and the division of the church. It has broken my heart to see things so much less central than the supremacy of Jesus and the sweetness of the gospel divided people that really is a family. And it's divided real families too. (laughs) You see our blood-bought family right in this text. We are a people bought by the blood of Jesus. And so the most painful thing of the last 18 months has been the divide in the church, the divide of the family, the brokenness here, things rising above the gospel to divide us. And yet, and yet, the word of God is clear that the church is God's plan to reach people with the gospel. This is his plan. Somehow we are his plan, whether we like it or not. The church is precious to God. Now, Right now, the church is the chosen people of God, purchased by his blood, destined for an eternal inheritance. God delights over this church in this moment, in this mess, with loud singing. As we sing desperate songs to him, he is singing over us, rejoicing over us with loud singing. And so it is this same truth that has broken my heart, that is energize me more than ever to labor in this place. People are like, how are you doing? I'm like, I am ready. (laughs) I am in. I love this people. God is not done with this place. God has placed me and the other elders here by the Holy Spirit and the church is still his plan and you are all and we are all still precious to him and Jesus is still worth it. And when I look out on you now, when I pull up in my car to a Bethlehem backyard barbecue. (laughs) I see a people who frankly needed an open heart surgery. And I see pastors who needed an open heart surgery. And I see a people that God has not done with yet despite our silly factions and distractions. So this last year has seared two things on my heart that will not change. This last year has seared into my heart that God alone is my good. We can't count on anything else for our rest, our comfort, our joy, and our peace, including the church. And at the very same time that's been seared on my heart, this last year has also seared into my heart that the saints in the land, you, (laughs) all of you, in good times and in hard times, you are all my delight. You're all my delight. Kids, let me give you an example of what I mean in case I'm not making any sense to you. Sometimes you get into fights with your brothers or sisters or even your good friends, don't you? Get into fights. We talked, I think, a couple weeks ago. I said, you just don't even remember what you're fighting about. Stone raised his hand. And right, you just get silly and you forget what's important, what's most important, and you fight. You fight. But you still love them, don't you? You still love your brothers and your sisters and your friends. And if someone else was mean to your brother or sister or friend, you'd want to help them, wouldn't you? Right? You were just fighting them and the next minute you're defending them. Well, I'm just going to tell you kids now because I'm trying to be honest with you as you grow up in this church. Sometimes that's what church is like. We forget sometimes that Jesus is most important 
And we forget how we're supposed to love each other. But just like mom or dad or grandma or whoever's there is there to remind you, hey, that's your brother. Hey, that's your sister. Love them. Care for them. So Jesus is kind to come and remind his church, hey, that's your brother. That's your sister. Love them. Point number two. The protection of the church. So it's in light of that preciousness that the elders here are called to literally, in verse 28, shepherd the flock of God. Some translations say care, but it's, it's the word for shepherding. So what do shepherds do? Well, they care for and they protect the flock. A shepherd tries to know his sheep well, stay with them, feed them, be there to care for their wounds, and will stand in the way of danger as it comes. They're willing to shed their blood for the sheep because Jesus shed his blood for the sheep. So notice the call here is really threefold. Pay attention, protect, and provide. Pay attention, protect, and provide. So first, pay attention. The shepherds are to pay attention to themselves and to all the flock. Notice, sometimes we don't talk about the first one a lot. The shepherds are to pay attention to to themselves. In other words, a distracted shepherd who forgets about Jesus or walks away from the chief shepherd cannot protect or provide for the flock. That wouldn't be helpful or good for you. So the first way shepherds love the flock is to watch themselves. And so while we're talking about it, I'll just tell you some of what we do here at the South Campus. We're trying to do this. We're required at the South Campus here to check in with another elder every month to care for each other to hold each other accountable and to point each other to Jesus, to talk about the hard things. I meet with four or five guys each month who do that with me. We have honest conversations about hard issues, family, church, life, and we seek to sharpen and encourage and challenge and exhort one another. We labor to pray for each other and each other's families and lives. It's a requirement to be an elder at the South Campus to do that. It's not perfect, but we are trying to keep a watch on ourselves because the church is precious. (laughs) And we don't want to be found disqualifying ourselves or dividing among ourselves in a way that harms all of you. We've seen that. We don't want it here. Second, they pay careful attention to all the flock. And we're always seeking to do this better and better as well. We're seeking to be available for questions to check in with you every few months, to really pray for you individually and in our meetings, to be among you on Sundays and Wednesdays especially. And we're happy for you to reach out to us. We want to know you so that we know how to care for you. And again, it's not perfect. (laughs) We fail all the time. We are not Jesus. Praise God. But when I think of the hours and hours and hours of time in counseling and talking in prayer in teaching, and in loving the flock and each other, my heart swells with love for these men. And I want you to see who they are. If you're here and you're an elder, it looks like you just stand so your people can see who you are. And Pastor David wanted me to tell you to twirl around so that everyone can see your faces too. So stand up and do a twirl, <laughs> elders. <laughs> You guys can sit down. None of these guys are in it for the benefits. None of them that I know desire anything from you. They just want you to make it to glory and equip you to help others see Jesus. I have seen in these men 
especially in the last year, that they live out the reality that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Again, not perfectly, but really. As I serve with these South elders placed here in this moment by the Holy Spirit to shepherd this South church, I can say with integrity they would not be doing it were it not for their love for Jesus and how precious all of you are to them. You really are precious to them despite our blunders and our mistakes. I also want to acknowledge, because this is just as important, the wives and the families of these guys. They give up so many nights, so much time with their husbands. They pray for them, and they love them, and they listen to them, and they cry with them over, over the burdens they bear. So if you're a wife of an elder or a, or a kid of an elder, would you stand up just so we can see you? And these are the ones, the elders are fine, but these are the ones you should really clap for because they are... Notice I didn't make them twirl. Um, But they're the ones who give up all the time. I couldn't even begin to quantify the kind of support my wife has been to me during this season. It's not an overstatement to say I'm not here if she's not with me. So pray for your elders, wives, and their kids. And as the elders pay attention to themselves and to the whole flock as best they can, they begin to know the flock so that they can protect them from the dangers that come. Sadly, in this text, and oftentimes we've seen this kind of danger and unrest and division comes from within the church. So often as a church, we spend a lot of our time worrying about the dangers outside, and we need to keep our eyes certainly on the dangers outside. But here in this text, we see dangers from within. In verse 30, wolves among the sheep that speak twisted things and draw disciples after them. So the call of the elders is pay attention and be on high alert, teach, admonish, counsel. Follow Paul's example to be among them, know them, and protect them. Again, we've tried to do this, and we'll keep trying to do that imperfectly. But these elders here do care deeply about the outcome of your faith, that you would receive the inheritance among all those who are sanctified, and that we would feed you good food from the word, which leads you to a brief Third point, the provision of the word. So the question when you look at this text is how will the elders make it? <laughs> right? how, how will they do it? How will they do their job and not lose their faith? Look at verse 32 where Paul gives this commendation. He says, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So who takes care of the elders? God. The chief shepherd shepherds his under-shepherds. The chief shepherd leads his local church shepherds to green pastures and still waters and restores their souls. And we say, how does he do that? Well, the answer is the word of his grace. They feast on the written word, and as they do, they are brought into fellowship and led by the living word. The chief shepherd shepherds his under-shepherds. In other words, it is the word of grace that sustains elders and the word of grace that fills them. It is being filled with this word of grace that can then overflow to be the source of hope and wisdom and protection and provision and shepherding of the flock of God. It's the word of grace that should show up in counseling sessions and meetings 
and emails and hospital visits and funerals and hard member meetings and parenting and preaching and leadership. This word of grace is my only explanation for the sustaining that I've experienced over the last year and the last month. The word of grace really is a word of grace. It comes in and it fills up so that you can keep giving. So even though it says it's more blessed to give than to receive, that's only happening because God is constantly pouring in by his word of grace. This word of grace builds them up, it says. It's able to build them up. When hope is broken, the word of grace heals the shepherd's heart. I'm sure every elder in here at some point in the last year has gone, this feels hopeless. This feels so messed up. Well, why are they still here? Because the word of grace heals the shepherd's heart. When depressing ministry moments build, the word of grace points the shepherd back to ultimate joy in the chief shepherd. When the busyness and meetings seem overwhelming, the word of grace gives endurance and energy and wisdom for the task. When harsh words cut, the word of grace reminds the frail shepherd that their identity is not in their ministry anyways. It's secure in Jesus. And where does that word of grace take these shepherds as they overflow to the sheep with it? Well, it takes them where they hope to take all of you with them. It takes them to the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In other words, the way this glory reality called the church works is that God places shepherds to care for his precious flock that he purchased with his own blood to get them to glory, trusting Jesus with the word of grace. And as they preach and they pray and they provide for the flock, the same word of grace sustains them and gets them to glory with the very saints they long to see get to glory. So the picture of the church is simply broken shepherds helping broken people get to eternal wholeness and glory in the presence of Jesus with a healing, restoring, convicting, comforting, correcting, and joy-producing word of grace. So we gather on the word so often here at Bethlehem. When I think of all this reality, the reality of the church, in this text, with this group of people, all of you, you, some of you still at home, this group of people gathered at this church, in this place, in this time, in this city, in these south suburbs, I can say with great confidence that I can gladly give the rest of my life to it. I really can. Because God alone is my good and the saints are all my delight. I long to love you and protect you and equip you that you might love God, love your neighbors, and make disciples in your homes and your neighborhoods and all the way to the nations with the other elders of this flock. I have no ambitions beyond this task for the rest of my life. I have no ambitions beyond this. It's, it's enough. It feels like enough right now. To love my wife, to love my kids, and to love all of you. I have no ambitions beyond that. And I hope you can see the preciousness of this blood-bought family that God has gathered here in Lakeville. Do you sense it from this text? Do you sense it? Do you see what Luke is trying to show us? I hope you can see the miracle it is. I hope we can work toward loving each other as leaders and members. I hope we can lay down any past bitterness or ugliness for the sake of the gospel. God has placed all of us here in this moment for such a time as this. And he means to use us for the sake of his glory in these suburbs 
And he means to get glory together where we will worship God and delight one another for all of eternity because of the blood of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the provision of the word of his grace. (laughs) The church has never failed because Jesus doesn't fail. And that's what we're counting on. Your elders, we're going to fail. We're going to let you down. All of you, you're going to fail. You're going to let each other down. You're going to let us down. We're going to feel let down sometimes by you. But Jesus isn't going to fail. And by his word and by the power of his Holy Spirit, because of his blood, there's a day when we're going to be gathered on the throne and we're going to be saying, God alone is our good. And all these saints, oh, they are all my delight. Bow your heads. Let's just take a few minutes to pray through a few things with our chief shepherd. So as we're bowing our heads, I just want to walk us through a few questions of prayer here. Let's just start by asking, talking to the Lord and asking if he's really all our good. Is the Lord your good in such a way that when everything else crumbles, you can say I'm good because I still have my good. Would you ask him to show you where there are other things competing with him to be your good? There are other things that you run to in times of sorrow and hardship and sin. Ask him for grace to see him and lay him at the foot of the cross. Ask yourself the question, can you really say, the saints, they are all my delight? Would you ask him to reveal places where there's still bitterness and frustration, there's broken relationships? Ask him to give you grace to go and make those right.
Now I'm going to ask you to pray for a couple of minutes for your elders that God would give us wisdom and humility and grace to lead, maybe especially in these hard times right now with, with love and with joy and with truth. So, Lord, I pray for this people now that you'd reveal to us what things we run to, what things have taken a higher priority than you, that we'd be able to say ever increasingly, God alone is my good. And, Lord, that you would help us see the beauty, the the miracle that this people in this place is, your church, your family that you've gathered by the blood of your Son, And that we would look around and know that we have Jesus in common so that we could say, the saints are all my delights, Lord. So help us see any bitterness or frustration or ways we've sinned against others or been sinned against and help us go and make those right. And Lord, please, I'm praying now for the elders of the South Campus that you would grant us grace and wisdom and humility and endurance and love to count this flock and labor for this flock in a way that would show how precious they are to you. Lord, be with us as a church as we walk forward towards our eternal inheritance together, as we do this sanctifying walk together. Lord, would you receive glory along the way, and we look forward to the day when we're with you in glory forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.